We did talk a little bit about multiculturalism, which which you are that you began the right. multicultural center. The founding director, my brother. I believe it was. You're so right. How about that? Oh, uh, excuse me. I'm going to put a little star <laughs> by, by your name on that. Well, That's I heard right. 1992, and I was like, wait. Kind of stuck was, in your head. I was like, I was like, how does this guy have this much energy? You're like, <laughs> you're like, uh, like Robin Williams on stage in the front of the in classroom. In a way, right? that's quite true. Very it, impressive. Now, what's interesting though, it's it, not, it can't just be the mocha. It isn't. It isn't just the mocha, although they're compatible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting because for me, the classroom is is a stage, and I have an energy field that lights up uh, the way an actor does when they go on stage. Mm. So I can be tired before I walk into our class, mm. go into this place, hit that class, baby. As soon as I open that door. I feel the energy rushing, and there's like no time in my head or no fatigue, and I do that four times, you know, in uh, on my Tuesday Thursdays. So, and as I was, I may have mentioned in the last class, I want my last class to have the same energy field as my first class. Mm-hmm. So it's a discipline. It's it's both part of who I am, but when I'm off stage, I'm off stage. Right. So people who know me sometimes expect that level of energy like robin seemed to never get off stage i mean even yeah. and i never saw i never saw him warm. down yeah. you know uh, i need i need the contrast right uh, i the stage man baby you got it <laughs> and then okay now i'm just going to kick back listen to my music do whatever so it's, but it is uh, people have over the years remarked in the energy but it's it's really an enthusiasm because i connect and I love so much the the information, the ideas we're doing, the interaction with students. I mean, what a unique opportunity. Every semester I get a, a new generation. I, I can be, you know, my, my thoughts, my ideas are extended with every new class because they're, they're coming from a new generation. It's, an, it's, a, it's, it's more than just their youthfulness, it's their freshness of ideas or the struggles they've just been through. We're still post-COVID. There's, there was this whole complete undermining of what your college experience would have been before COVID. Mm. It, even the phrase college experience, you have to say post-COVID because it's not it, it's not like any college experience before. Right. No, yeah. And like uh, taking my t- my COM 200 class with uh, Don Kelsey, that yeah. was, that, she really made a point to emphasize that, hey, you know, grades are definitely important, but you're here yes. on campus physically, and there's a lot of things to get into. There it is. Different groups, a lot of stuff to that is just as important as yeah. getting an A or a B. Like a B yes. compared to an A is just fine, especially if you're applying yourself to... Absolutely. Well, I started doing the radio thing. Yes. You know, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, like I'll just try to do yeah, it. Yeah, the university... I ended up loving it, and you know, I still focused on my grades, but at the same time, I was that's like... That's perfect. Kind of started that, to, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The, the university campus provides so much more out of the classroom that that you need to take advantage of while you're here. Right. And it only will feed into whatever field you're interested in. It'll only broaden you. Yeah. But I know students, they're working two jobs, they're trying to get through, so they're lucky to get in and out of a classroom at times. Definitely. But it's really very, very important to use the resources of a university or way beyond the classroom 
And that's oftentimes you'll remember just as much as the best experiences you had in a room. Classroom would be socializing, joining clubs and organizations, doing community service. All of that uh, really is the university experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And like just you mentioned discipline a little while ago. Yeah. The reason we're doing this at seven o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. is because you meditate in the afternoon. That's right. So well, the, it, a little bit through your method it, or it, something it, like that. What do it you do? regenerates me for the uh, second half of the class and then afterwards. So it's a uh, mindfulness training that really comes from Buddhist discourses. And it's more than just relaxation. It's a kind of uh, letting go of your attachments to stress, to uh, what's coming ahead of me or pondering what's behind me. It, it puts you back in the present moment in a way that re-energizes you. There's a kind of uh, renewal. And it doesn't take long. Everyone has their own techniques. And, but I, I, that's just built in. Even my walking to get the mocha is just a little constitutional from here to lower campus back up before anything. It's just, I'm just, it's totally quiet. There's no students around. It's just, a, it's just, it's a great way for me. That's why I come this early. I like starting with total quietude at this place yeah. and then watch it just, just, Fill up with students, yeah. and the whole everything changes. <laughs> so, but to me, having marking out times where you are in a meditation. I mean, sometimes the meditation is through music, as well. You know, just letting yourself float with the music right. is is kind of a mindfulness thing. You're you're not thinking about other things. You're just letting the the music take you away, and that can help. I think for me, it helps sustain the energy I want to bring into a classroom. Speaking of that, yeah. that's, a good, that's a good segue to, well, all to, right the, then. To, the quote, to the quote you have at the top of your syllabus. That's right. This, which I think you have left all adulthood behind. Yes. Stop now into the magic circle, which magic circles capitalized. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Live forever young, dance with daisies into the land of fairy. That's right. F-A-E-R-Y. That's right. So, what is is that an actual? Is that just a, a, a British way to spell fairy? It is okay. Uh, and also capitalized. Also capitalized. And to me, it it's kind of leaving your adulthood behind. Uh, we had talked about how Lewis Carroll had said that that an adult frets about the future, laments about the past. A child is in an eternal present moment, like Alice in his stories. And this whole course really is more than, uh, as I put on the syllabus, it's not a how-to do storytelling in a kind of linear way. It's letting go of the constraints uh, that have held your creativity back. For me, storytelling reignites a, a talent of creativity and imagination that over our over the years may have been dulled beaten or annulled you know you're, you're you're in kindergarten and you draw this picture of a snowman and you're so pleased and you show it to the teacher and the teacher says that doesn't look like a snowman you know and, and you know snowmen are not purple and remember what i told you about drawing in the lines right. so that open-ended spark can be crushed yeah they can say well i'm not an artist 
oh, I'm sorry. All of a sudden, what was just pure joy and pure expression becomes dulled and annulled in our lives. So by the time you're at a university, that's why I have you doing such silly things. <laughs> because you have to be at one with jumping rope in our class or doing hopscotch or turning into a monster. Yeah. We don't, where else in, in, in our upbringing are we allowed to do that as adults? In fact, if you do, they're kind of, okay, then, yeah, that's enough. Or, you know, it's tap it down, don't be too loud. And so, to me, that's, uh, in fact, speaking of quotes, I like the quote that I put on the top of the syllabus, my brother. Quote for quote. It's a quote that quakes. To be able to create a story, to make it live during the moment of the telling, to arouse emotions, wonder, laughter, joy, amazement. This is the only goal a storyteller may have. And that's from Ruth Sawyer in her book, The Way of the Storyteller. So that's the philosophy. It's, it's not story reading, as a lot of uh, teachers do in, in elementary school, they, you know, they, they do share a story, but they, they just open the book and they're reading it off the side as they look at it and showing you quick little pictures and that storytelling. That's not storytelling. They might be doing voices or something. A little bit, yeah, but we, we want to be that, that magic person. Takes over that stage, is having a great time themselves and letting the story pique the imagination, arouse that wonder. Uh, release this energy. I mean, storytelling is absolutely organic to our humanity. You know, European uh, literature begins with the storytelling of Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. These are oral epics. They were orally composed, orally transmitted for hundreds of years before any written versions were down. So it's not that a person named Homer sat down and wrote these. An artist named Homer was able to edit and adapt stories that had preceded him for generations, but somehow was able to shape it so powerfully in performance that, that his name and those stories became one, one thing. Mm -hmm. And so storytelling, I think, is so much bigger than what uh, a person would imagine when you just say that. Oh, what are you doing? This story? Well, humanity tells stories. Right. That's that's how we begin, you know. And a dance is a form of nonverbal story. Music is part of that same narrative. You have ballads, you have lyrics. In fact, lyric comes from playing the lyre as someone spoke poetry. So we say lyric, but it comes from the lyre, the the spoken word, and the music was one thing. Oh. And so we've kind of separated out these and that we've relegated storytelling to a category called children's literature right. that people as we say mistake as <clears throat> if it's a lesser form of literature just for children mm. i think it's quite the opposite it's a form of literature that ignites uh, wonderment in children and adults right and it has the same standards as we've been looking at in the class as any other great literature in terms of its structure, in terms of its use of language. So that's what we're trying to retrieve. It's much more than simply taking a story 
and performing it. We're trying to link it up. That's why we we've you know we started we go ancient Greece. We we jump up to early English letters in the 16th century, showing how Shakespeare incorporated nursery rhymes and things that that he knew, and we just kind of crisscrossed the globe because... The 20th we, century was Lennon, John he, Lennon. Yeah, John Lennon, yeah. And, and in fact, we're going to oh, we're going to have a John Lennon moment today that, okay. that should surprise you. It just and, and the connection I showed between Lewis Carroll using, you know, uh, these nursery rhymes and bringing Humpty Dumpty back, okay, into the 19th century. And the Brothers Grimm are from Germany, and they're bringing European collections. So it's, it's cross-cultural by nature because it speaks to the human condition. We tell stories. Right. And as we've been looking at, when we've looked at, say, the stories of the Brothers Grimm, we have to remember it's coming from the Middle Ages, and it's coming from a brutal, violent, dangerous time to live. Uh, to make it to age 30 was the exception because of disease, because, uh, you know, women died in childbirth. If your child, excuse me, made it to their first year, that was maybe, maybe they'll be able to, to reach adulthood. So the fear and the monsters of these stories aren't just out of the blue. It's a way to express uh, a pain and frustration that they have, and it comes through the the nightmarish images we have. So, yeah. Uh, also, like you know, the ruling class was a lot more violent, tyrannical, and wars were. Yes. Yeah. It, it was well. a very. Was, there was just yeah a lot of stuff. You're right. There was a kind of dictatorial theocracy that uh, controlled everyone, and the 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 king was was thought he was divinely. Uh, appointed and and broached no no opposition and anything that disagreed with with the king you it was at your peril and so I think it's helpful so that after this course I think everyone will have a very expanded view of what storytelling is and that's and I'm encouraging everyone in the class to tell stories to your nieces and nephews <laughs> or uh, you know you know, become the storyteller. It's it's uh, with all this wonderful media, and it's still storytelling, right? You're still looking at stories through movies and what have you. Only those platforms don't involve you, right? You're never act. Your imagination isn't really involved. You just kind of yeah. kick back. Mm -hmm. So storytelling is in your body, my brother, in your <laughs> voice, in your movement, and that's yeah. why we're always playing around with trying to sort of put the location back in the human form. Mm -hmm. the, 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 and, and there's an electricity in live performance that no media can truly uh, convey. It's, it's literally energy coming out of your body that you can feel in an audience and an audience can feel in you. And it's reciprocal, goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you create a, a circuit of energy, a circular energy field. No matter how engaging a movie is or something, then it you are not part of that movie. You you are it's not engaging with you. It's already pre-done. It can be shown anywhere at any time. So this is it's a it's a much deeper form of performance, 
And that's why I, I try to crisscross it in ways that surprise people and show, well, no, this still has an impact today. I mean, I just listening to um, uh, this this group Pendragon that has was part of the uh, prog rock, progressive rock revival in Britain in the early 1980s, but they're, they're still producing stuff. Uh, the last album I got was from 2020. But the point is, they're using... Uh, the rabbit hole. How many times have you heard falling down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. from Lewis Carroll used in everything from astronomy to, you know, science? I mean, it just it just is a metaphor because it hits something. We all can feel like we're falling into an abyss. It comes out of nowhere. We're walking along and there's a rabbit and we, <laughs> we chase after the rabbit and then we fall down this rabbit hole. Yeah, it's and actually I, something that's commonly used today with just like, you like on, you just do a Google search or Bing, whatever you use. Sure. And then all of a sudden you're like 10, oh. 15 articles deep on the same thing. You're like, whoa, what are, what are it's I It's amazing. Done? I mean, the yeah. matrix, it's, it's, you know, it started the matrix is, you know, the, it's this whole rabbit hole. Yeah. So these stories are coming from a deep reservoir of human consciousness. And that's why they resonate, and they stay with us. And so these simple fairy tales are journeys of spirit that we can that somehow touch us in ways that we're not quite aware of, but we're we're drawn to because our own life experience is being reflected, even though they're fantastical. But our our lives are fantastical, mm, okay, mm -hmm. and they take our. Our dream, our dreams have those fearful scenarios that become the stories that help us release them in waking life. So, so again, to me, storytelling is is a, an extraordinary province of human experience of joys and wonder and there's the, uh, and twists of logic and that's what we're looking at Edward Lear, where just the the, the fun of making your sentences topsy-turvy and having conclusions that don't follow their premise and it, it kind of relaxes you because we're used to linear predictable structure and these stories often turn left go right fall down rabbit holes <laughs> and you don't know where it's going to go and i think yep. that's that's part of the the joy and the magic of it yep <clears throat> right, we're going to take a quick commercial break we'll be back in a second and we're back okay all right. Um, yeah. So, so the so we're talking about the 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 rabbit hole aspect of just kind of taking your the uh, a pure person out of their adult yes. structured life, right, and bringing it into a fancy land, dream yes. world, the yes. land of the land of magic. Yeah, the and, where unbounded imagination is the territory. It's unbounded imagination, right? And it seems it seems kind of interesting. Like I, I, and I'd really like to have your opinion on it. It seems like a lot of uh, like um, contemporary, like children's books and stuff yes. like that. They're a lot more maybe instructional. I think and, you're and right. A lot more straightforward, and they don't really take you into a fantasy. Yes. Land, like, and see, that's it. That, I'm glad you made that observation because. We had mentioned that before Hans Christian Andersen, when they did stories for children, they were instructional. Teach a lesson, teach about uh, behavior. Uh, they were moralistic. 
Yeah. It was all it wasn't about entertainment and and craziness and freedom. Hans Christian Andersen originates that new kind of uh, children's literature. I agree with you. I think what's happening now, see, a story can teach you something, of course. Hans Christian Andersen's stories taught you something. Yeah, and but he but, but he, they were he allows fantastical. Yeah, he allows the fantastic to go, and he's never really that moralistic. So what we're seeing though is I think a lot of stories are very political. They're they're addressing you know issues of culture or identity, which can be organic to a story, but I think sometimes you, you feel them pushing an agenda right. it's not where you're not just captivated by the story, you know it's a story to accept X, Y, or Z. Or it's, you know, and uh, Ruth Sawyer, who's kind of our, our spirit guide, uh, has always saying that's not, that's not the oral tradition of storytelling. The oral tradition is like, uh, Alice's adventures in Wonderland and through the looking glass and what Alice found there, there's no moralism in there. There's, it, there's no moralistic teaching. It's free of that, which frees the reader to find whatever they want to find. Shakespeare's like that. There's no which is more, more impactful almost. I think it, it ultimately is. Yeah. So I think a lot of these stories, or the other ones as I was saying in class, where they're just linear stories of Fred gets up and he brushes his teeth and he goes to school and he comes back. It's just a flat listing of events. It may have fun pictures, it may, but there's no story story. There's no development of character. There's no tension. There's no conflict. There's none of the things we expect in a good story. So I think we don't want to fall backwards the way stories used to be for children, which were for instruction only. Mm-hmm. that entertainment through storytelling can be the most liberating, memorable uh, way to approach some of these issues and let them make their own decisions about what it's about. I mean, when, you, when they hear The Ugly Duckling, we can do an adult analysis about Hans Christian Andersen feeling like an outsider and struggling with his own sexual identity, but that's not what the that's not what in a storytelling mode you would get. You would you would just feel how there is how people don't see others for who they really are, and it's a positive flowering of someone who they had discarded and they realize had value the whole time. And then they could see that, they could experience that. Sure, as, uh, and that they could feel like the, the ugly person, duckling themselves. Or they could see somebody experiencing mm-hmm. that ugly duckling feeling. Yes. And maybe reach out to them because they feel like... I like that, they, yeah. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, this is the way you should act, the way you should feel. Right. An exact... Yeah, it's not didactic in that together. way. Yeah. But it allows the listener to make connections. Uh, that's that's what that's what we see like in Shakespeare's plays you have complex characters but he doesn't he's not creating an argument out of the play where you come to a, a, a conclusion you choose which character you think is the one you identify with and they're always complex they're mixtures of good and bad they're not simple so playwrights can fall into the same pattern where they want to prove something through the play, mm-hmm. you know, and it has, and you can feel the push of of it. Uh, storytelling in its tra- great great tradition is never about that. It's about wonder. It's about magic. It's about discovery, 
and it frees the listener and hopefully, as I say, ignites a kind of joy that they don't normally get from stories. Yeah, uh, so that character dynamic that you brought up with Shakespeare reminds me of my uh, American Indian Studies class I took okay. a year ago, mm-hmm. and we talked about Coyote. Yes. The ki- the character of Coyote yes. is mischievous. Yeah, it's a at trickster. At times he's good, a at times he's bad, but yeah. there's all sorts of lessons to gain from that, but he's not yeah. necessarily somebody... Or a, a character that you want to be like or be in right. the first place. But you can see parts of yourself in them at times. And, oh, of course. And right. you see... Which makes you more empathetic. Yes, I agree. That's a good example because, see, that's from... Uh, Native American cultures have a, as deep uh, an oral tradition of storytelling of any culture. And that's a good example where you have... Characters have developed, like the coyote, the trickster character. And it... It top again. It topples people's expectations or tries to undermine somebody. But you, it's impish though, and it can be very funny. And part of that, the laughter releases some of the tension around it. So, uh, indigenous and uh, American Indian storytelling is is rich with uh, looking at at life and it, in its wonder and it, and the the love of nature is organic to its imagery and there's a spirituality that's just naturally there without it uh, preaching a dogma of any kind but you would have to say it, it has a, a spirituality that is part of the culture and oh, I think good. that's kind of absent too I mean, I'm not talking about institutional pathways I'm talking about a, a sense of awe for that which is beyond us or something that's bigger than us. So uh, you find that very much in indigenous stories. And that, that connection to the spiritual world allows you, as an adult, to check back into that child's brain of yours. Yeah, it does. It does. <clears throat> and our own dreams can do that. Yeah. And I think there's a big relationship between our dreams, which is that form of storytelling that is... Automatic, you know, we wonder what, where, why was this? And this, it, it breaks logic, and you're not sure who you were in the dream. Well, I was me, but I really wasn't, and it looked like you, but you didn't. It, it does what the what within in the waking world they try to continue that exploration of of identity. Uh, again, like Alice, she has an unstable identity. She's she's literally and metaphorically. Uh, the size of a seven-year-old girl and now she's nine feet tall and now she's three inches tall and it's a metaphor about and she says you know am I the same person I was yesterday these are actually very adult questions you know the the student persona you have when you're in a classroom isn't necessarily when you're totally relaxed with your best friend hanging out Mm -hmm. all right you're still you right but your demeanor your voice it's different and Life's a stage. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, we, we want to be in touch with a whole range of, of ways. The thing about storytelling, though, it's, it, it reminds us that there's, you can be authentic with all these different ideas and changes and differences. So authenticity is what comes through in a great story, that it's connected to something. It's connected to an energy. It's connected to an idea that allows us to... Uh, co-create in our mind the relationship with the storyteller. Give one second here. Yes. 
Oh, did they did they fall off? Or yeah, I just, moved too much. Just kind of like kind of so good. All right, all right, we're good. Uh, yeah, so this energy that we all share, uh, yeah. it's it's very it's it's very interesting to think. Um, so this is uh, okay. The energy that we that we we definitely give off energy. That's like yes. have like yes. science yes. about this, right? That's right. You can see it. it and and um, emotions. Yes, are universal. Yes. Happy is happy. That's you might, right. Other things might make you feel happy. Different things make you right. feel happy. But the same feeling of joy is the same yes. amongst somebody who lives in Turkey compared of to course. somebody who lives in Japan or whatever. Of course. Right? And so it's kind of like, is that what we're talking about? This energy that, that we're trying to kind yeah, of I, hit I, amongst each other? I really like your observation there because story is full, storytelling is full of authentic emotions. And to perform it well, you have to be in touch with your emotions and you have to be able to project yourself into the emotions of a character. Mm -hmm. And so it's different, uh, it's different than stage acting where you have a single character that you're trying to immerse in. Here you, you have to be an old man, a young boy, uh, an animal, uh, and it it reminds you of the richness of your own emotional landscape internally, but we're not taught to connect to that, much less express it out loud in, in a public setting. Mm -hmm. So I, I like that. I think it reconnects us to authentic human emotion. And that's why I will say, you know, when you're on stage, if our adults saying, oh, this is silly, and we kind of crack up, calling breaking character, it's because we're we're not really feeling that character's fear. We're seeing it through an adult lens and saying, like, look at that Jabberwocky, you know, the, the, the young child is, is, is facing this horrendous animal that, that we saw with uh, Tennille's illustration. It's terrifying. But you have to believe that it's terrifying rather than uh, as if it's a cartoon situation or, or you're just, oh, you're just, you know, enacting a, uh, the scene as if it's a trivial moment. No, for them, this is as real as real can be. Mm -hmm. But you have to tap into your own emotional range to effectively convey that on stage. It's a, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's okay. So I compare it to so when I'm in like okay, so like my three oh seven class. Okay, right. So it's like more statistical things. Sure. So when I realize something in that, yeah, it's like this. Um, it's like, oh my gosh, yes, I, I just hit this goal, I accomplished it, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm in front of your class and I'm spinning around <laughs> <laughs> with Kai and we're yes. these like yes. fake holding up our legs like we're spinning on our noses on the ground, <laughs> uh, it's a different sort of, it doesn't feel like an accomplishment, it just feels yeah. like I've just loosened up a lot more. Good. Yeah, like to get out there, when you, sh when you showed us the picture yes. that we were supposed to imitate, I was like, All right, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. But then once we're doing it, like obviously we're not spinning on our noses, but once we're doing it, it's right. just a lot more, you just feel looser. And it's, it's, it is an accomplishment that. in that sense, but it's not, yes. it's a different, it just feels a lot different than reading something and then doing yeah. it over and over again. Then you're like, oh wow, now I get it. That's right. It's and, a different, and, oh wow, I get it. And you brought up the fact that, that stories have come with pictures, have come with illustrations that bounce off each other. So hearing that little limerick by Edward Lear, yeah. it's just funny. But seeing his drawing makes it even funnier. Yeah. 
And you, and then saying, so how do I reproduce that <laughs> on stage? Yeah. And we're not trying to physically line you up as if you're spinning on your chin. Yeah. We're letting the you know, we're letting the audience's imagination when they hear that you're spinning on your chin, you can be what we call stylizing the behavior, which keeps it uh, open for everybody. So you're right there, and I think you have to loosen up. <laughs> you definitely have to loosen up how you would normally be on stage, and a lot of our courses, of course, they are. are have the gift of academic work is critical thinking skills and aligning things and balancing things and that that's that's a whole incredible track that you want to have that gives you lifelong scholarship but i think it needs to be welded the ability to let that go <laughs> and have this whole other way of connecting to ideas which is through your body through your voice in an imaginative way. And I think together you get a synergy between your ability to critically think or do statistical analysis, which is pulling a certain kind of brain power and, and where you can say, good, I, I accomplished that, to something that's much more flowing and uh, freeing. But I think we'd want you to have both. <laughs> mm, right, yes. To analyze and then free the yeah. story yes. in, in motion. That's right. Yeah. That, uh, I'll go back to go back to the dreams. Okay. Have you ever done like any dream analysis or anything like that? Well I I I did like this kind of guy that might I, I did that. because uh for four years I taught at a a graduate school in psychology. So all, all, all the students were PhD candidates in clinical psych, and I was teaching a culture uh, to them to get them out because you know psychology is a European idea developed by Europeans, and I was trying to show them how the Mexican population will not connect to these ideas. Like, how do you bridge between a culture that dismisses you know you don't talk to a total stranger about your feelings. You know, you go to an aunt or an uncle or what have you. And, but in the process, I, I loved their library. <laughs> that was just, and so I, w I was reading a lot of Jung's. And I started with, with Freud's classic uh, interpretation of dreams. And then I looked at uh, Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist, who, who knew and worked with Freud. And I found it very fascinating. Uh, I, Jung's idea is that somehow we're all part of the dream picture, as he says, so that when we say, well, then I was talking to, you know, my friend Joe, and then all of a sudden I was out here, it's like he would say, it wasn't, it's, it wasn't Joe, it's Joe represents a part of you in mm. that dream. Mm -hmm. So we're always saying well, it was about as if he says, actually, it's all you scattered out that your brain is taking you and scattering you, your fears, your this is, your that's, and putting it in sort of recognizable characters that your brain is putting together. Oh. And he also talked about archetypes, that there are, in his view, embedded storylines, almost in our DNA. So that's why we see worldwide certain hero stories with certain steps that seem to be replicated globally mm -hmm. over 
in that it's it's kind of again it's an embedded story pathway of of wanting you know of uh, of moving our lives along so i think dreams and dream life and of course great stories have a dreamlike quality to them i mean fairy tales and uh in particular and folk tales and legends they have this otherworldly quality and it can take you to lands that uh, take your breath away and, uh, but I think there's a connection between all of this I think the dream life is a form of storytelling that's below our conscious level but it's pulling from us and I, I've liked the idea that okay rather than saying telling you the storyline of the dream, I want to say, well, what parts of me in that storyline is it reflecting? Like, okay, I said it was so-and-so, but it, does that mean lost? Does that mean fear? Does it, you know, in dressed as this character? So there's a lot I think you could learn or would be applicable uh, if you did some uh, storytelling thinking about that dream life and they kind of bring dream life into the waking life you know? yeah like uh bringing something from your lower soul yeah. to the upper soul yeah like i yeah. took philosophy classes down at golden west a long time ago and uh yeah my teacher would like talk about the lower soul compared to the upper soul Good. and sometimes he would even have like somebody write their dream down and then they would tell it to him and mm. he kind of like figure it out by asking them questions Great. and well, kind of draw it out how, and stuff how like engaging that. i like that yeah, it was pretty interesting. And like, up until like this past summer, I smoked a ton of weed, mm -hmm. and I couldn't remember any of my dreams. Mm -hmm. And ever since I stopped, I've mm -hmm. had like really vivid, wild dreams, almost like lucid dreams, where I'm like walking around in the world. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Like, do you, do you know why? No, I wouldn't. Like, why why would um, it? Like, it's, maybe is there like a chemical thing going on? Up there? It could like, be. I mean, first of all, lucid dreams are. For me, are very rare, but when they happen, it's unique. I mean, that that sense of reality in the dream takes it's a whole different thing. And it and when you wake, you can feel what you had been feeling. It stays with you. Yeah, like I like last night, I'm dreaming about walking around a, a food festival and mm. and I'm trying to select all these different barbecue places. And then I walk into a, ba a back service area. Yeah. And it turns out that the place that I ordered from was like serving up stuff that was sitting on the grill that was all cold. Where the spot that I walked right by was grilling everything up that was smelling mm. delicious. It was wow. just like this beautiful, you know, chicken, ribs, tri-tip. It was just all sitting right there. And for some reason, I walked right by it into mm. the back area, maybe like... <laughs> You know, picking up the nickel instead of grabbing the dollar right in front of you, yeah. like the shiny object. I don't know right. what it was. Interesting. And then I woke up and I thought that I was, you know, I felt like I was about to sit down and eat. Yes. And I just wanted to go back to sleep to go figure it out. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. And it almost and happens. It happens like almost almost every night now, where I have this really wild dream. That's terrific. I, I think <laughs> you should work on them. I think if they're that vivid. Uh, at the moment you wake up, write as much down or speak it into something. And don't worry about it. Just, just see see if, if patterns emerge. Yeah. See if there are some thematic elements. I mean, I always have, before a semester starts, I always have the, I'm on campus, I can't find my room, it's getting late, oh my God, it's the first day of class, 
where's my office? <laughs> I have that repeatedly. Yeah. And it's a weird, and it's like, oh my God, I'm late for my first class. I and and the buildings look familiar, but they're not familiar. Wait a minute, wasn't I just in the office? And so it's an anticipatory dream. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it precedes every semester, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I'm having no dreams again. Guess we're getting close." And I just can't, I can't find my way. You know that, and that, uh, that's one of the reasons I, again, I like to be here early. I like to be here. I like to do a kind of free meditation that moves me into pre-prep. Even though I've prepped it along the semester, I always like to add new elements in that morning. Or lots of things we do on stage, I've decided to do in the office before I came to class. I mean, it wasn't what I normally would have done. And I thought, hey, what, let's, like I've never actually had people enact those limericks by Edward Lear. I just showed the pictures. <laughs> And I thought, well, why don't we try to perform the pictures? Yeah. And so yeah. there's a, I like not, uh, I like having that freedom in the morning to say, well, let's, let's try this. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, why not add that? And I kind of rummage around and I, 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 I like, I, I work best in a kind of improvisational way. I've got all this core material I, I, I know about, but I, I, I don't want to just keep coming at it as if, it's the same. How can I tweak it for me? How can I try something I didn't try? And then notice what worked and didn't work or, or what have you. So that's part of what I like about early mornings is that I'm free to kind of reinvest in the day for today's classes. Yeah, no, and I heard, so do you do, you do like social media at all? Not much. Not much. So like... I've heard something about like the phone thing and just like kind of like the constant stimulation. Yes. That's different, like uh, for sure within the past seven years, but you know, mm. like when mm. Twitter came out and I don't know, it's like 2012, I think, is when okay. social media started blowing up and right. everybody had a phone and mm -hmm. whatever. Um, the the act of being bored, which I think is kind of like mm. you're, you're not you're not necessarily bored, but you're. Mm the non-stimulation time of the day, yeah. right? Like your meditation time, yeah. your yes. walk up to the, the office when yes. there's nobody on campus. Yes. It, um, that's something that kind of like a lot of people have not grown up doing. Right. And so it allows you to uh, evaluate things and really think deeply about stuff that mm -hmm. at times might just seem yes. boring. Yeah, or just, predictable I, or habitual. Or just like, yeah. or just there's nothing in front of me right. that, that's keeping my attention. Yes. Instead of thinking that my thoughts keep my attention. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta be, you know, I, and I'm, I was listening to music as I walked up, you that's know right. I mean? which is like, it could be meditative, but it could also just be me just sure. not fo you know, focusing in on the music and not just allowing silence to just yes. take over mm -hmm. and just let me think about my day and strategize right. it or whatever. Or, or Hear and, the birds in the morning when it's nice and dark and it's this magical sound. And then an idea might just pop in your head. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's healthy for all of us to have to add those meditative moments and and to stay open to revisit something you know how to do and that you've done for a long time, but try to bring freshness each time. I mean to me It's like being grounded. Yeah, every you know, like every something's just so lost is a new possibility. It's, it's have to make this class. I'm going to take him higher this time, you know. And it's 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 a 
it adds my that's where my energy goes is is to create that heightened opportunity and and to watch students can make their way uh, with you know this crazy ponytailed dude jumping around <laughs> you know it's a, eight in the morning oh my lord <laughs> are you serious <laughs> hey long and hey people let's go this yeah, that's magic a, time that's right that's right bam <laughs> so let's let's sum up let's sum up okay what is the magic of storytelling i know we've kind of talked about it for about 45 minutes now but sure what is the magic of storytelling because there's like the like you, you can so this is something I wanted to bring up a while ago. I just remembered it. So like, mm-hmm. there is a very technical way yes. to teach uh, people how to use storytelling to yes. open up people's minds to ideas. It's the, it's right. the narrative paradigm. Yes. It's yes. something that you learn in communication. Yes. And it's effective. It is. This is different. It is. I, I think the magic is that it, it calls on the unpredictable in us. It call, calls on the forever youthfulness of of our minds where as a child we received everything without judgment there was a sense of awe remember how carol was trying to describe what he how he wanted people to perform alice was with a sense of wonder every step is a holiday for her she doesn't argue against well there's humpty dumpty she just talks to humpty dumpty and in fact, ask them what can you can can you tr- uh, translate this poem? You know, and she's engaged with whatever is happening, and that the magic is reopening something that I believe we're born with, but gets patterned out, uh, gets uh, done by habit, by predictability. Uh, when we say education, it could become something that doesn't make us smile, but something we dread. Oh, God, I have to take this. Oh, it, and storytelling is not about burden. It's not about something that, uh, that you have to carry. It's something about flying. It's something about soaring. Something, it, it's a different direction. It's up and open. And to me, it, it keeps us uh, in touch with that uh, essence of unbounded wonder, uh, the curiosity of a child, a curiosity, uh, an openness. Well, what's this? What's that? And and an ability to, to let yourself just be in awe of something you can't explain, that you're in reverence of the awe. And I don't, I think with all the, the media can kind of counterfeit connection without the human component to me it's like this is scary that people are attached to a detached form of connection that doesn't even need humans mm. all right and we're you know uh, i will not get into a driverless car okay <laughs> i drive i like driving i like moving it i like being aware of my environment i don't want to just sit back and let something drive me and I think we're, we, we have to watch out that that very human factor, I mean, uh, all the use of auto-tone uh, where you don't have to have a good voice. It's automatically regularized by a computer. It, it takes your out-of-tune note and, and makes it in tune. A human voice is not perfect. Part of its magic is its imperfection. 
it conveys real emotion. Bob Dylan conveys authentic emotion, not in a voice that you would say, well, that's a beautiful voice. It's a voice that communicates. It has for 60 years. And it reminds us that voice is not, you know, a, cer a certain perfection. It's the beauty of its imperfection. It's the, uh, when you talk to you, artists talking about their great work, they say, well, it was by accident. I, I, I didn't intend that. I, I listened to it afterwards and thought, hey, I, I should do that. Uh, what AI does is that it removes all imperfection out. And that's, that to me is not an achievement. It's a loss of range. It's a loss of innovation. Innovation comes from accidents. How many accidents produce some of the greatest ideas? I was trying for this, but then this happened. Mm -hmm. All right. If 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 ever if if you take that out, the the magic I think is gone. The magic is that ability to be stunned into an alertness uh, from from an angle you never even imagined, but to be open to it. So I think that's what I love about storytelling. To me, it's it's a reconnection. It's interesting, like the, the word religion comes from the Latin word religio, which means to, to, uh, to reconnect, to, to bring together, to relink. And an idea would be to relink your humanity with a spirituality or a divinity. I, I think we're losing that religio. I, we, we've lost that link. And we're letting one side of it uh, decide everything. It's deciding for you. It's saying, hey, man, uh, you know, I think you'll like based on your pattern. And you don't have to think what you'd like. You say, hey, yeah, that's right. That's good. And we're just sort of relinquishing our interaction with our own lives. Yes, it's convenient. Yes, at times I like what they bring up and say, James, I think you'd like this. And I'll say, yeah, I didn't know about you. Know, but, but in just little dollops, I don't want to move through my life with somebody else's program on what that life's supposed to look like. Storytelling disrupts all of that. It, it's alive now. It's happening now. And it's in front of people. Mm -hmm. there's, no, there's nothing in between us. It's me and you. That's not retrievable. You have the illusion in a deep fake that someone is actually doing something. And, and even if you know intellectually, it, it's, it's a manipulation. There is no manipulation in live storytelling. You are really here. I'm really here. Now let's connect on that level. So I think it's a kind of balance and corrective relationship with communication. And that's far deeper than what people would think when they think of storytelling. They think they have a very diminished idea. We're trying to blast that diminished idea out of the water and let you see it brings everything together in some some interesting way. It crosses the globe. It crosses culture. It crosses time, but it speaks to human condition and human need and human want and human wonder. Well said. All right. I think that's a good place to end. Okay, my brother. Thank right. you for this opportunity. Awesome. No, thank you.